So, uh, Rusty George, uh, an author, tells uh, about how that one day his six-year-old daughter didn't get exactly what she wanted and she threw a little temper tantrum. Uh, it was bad enough that, that, that Rusty and his wife, her mother, sent the little girl to her room and she was in there for quite a while and uh, they, they went up to check on her and they saw a, a note had been slipped under the door and the note said, I am running away from home. You have been mean to me my whole life. I will miss you, love Sydney. And then it said, P.S., I'll be at the Young's. In other words, I'm running away from home, but here's where I'll be, here's where I'll be, please come and get me. I often describe our relationship with God as being at home with the Father. I think that there are a lot of people who have run away from home or from God, knowingly or unknowingly, who are desperate to be found. I think if we pay attention, we would, we would see the signals that people send, which in essence say, please find me. They just need somebody to go to find them and to help them come home. So today, as we've already mentioned a couple of times, we launch our trimester to spiritual growth theme here at TLCC, and our theme is witness. For the next four months through four, what I hope will be dynamic teaching series and a variety of other means, we're gonna discuss the privilege that each of us has to share the good news about Jesus with people who are lost and want to be found. Lost, by the way, is the word Jesus used to describe people who are not in right relationship with God and who are separated from the life God dreamed for them. We have the privilege of partnering with Jesus to lead people home to the Father. So we're gonna discuss that. And we're gonna focus particularly and particularly on the next several weeks, on the power that we've been given by the Holy Spirit to witness to others about Jesus and what he came to do in each of our lives. So I wanna introduce this series and really this next four month spiritual growth theme today by first of all offering what I'm gonna simply call in a very straightforward way, four words for witness, and then I'm gonna offer some brief reflections on how the Holy Spirit helps us witness a deeper dimension of Jesus in our lives. So, four words for witness. Again, this is gonna be a pretty straightforward talk, but I, I think it will lay the groundwork for some important work in each of our lives, those of us who participate in coming months. The first word I wanna just respond to is the word mandate. Oh, by the way, I know this is a big deal to a very small subset of people at the Life Christian Church. I have, I have, and this is a big announcement, again, to about five people in this room. I have gone back to a fill-in-the-blanks format in the Life Notes uh, because I noticed that for whatever reason, more people seem to take notes when the stupid blanks are empty. 
and I don't understand that completely, but I acquiesce at least for a while uh, because I actually think it's important for people who want to grow to take notes and to keep the notes and refer to the notes the next week. And studies show that when you're actually writing things down as you're listening and learning and watching and reading and all of that, that it helps people retain more of what's said. So we go to great lengths every week to provide life notes. I haven't mentioned this for many months. They're in the seat back pocket and close in front of you. If you want to follow along and for those of you who care, you can fill in the little blanks. All right, so you can write this down. Mandate, there are a lot of people who ask those of us who follow Jesus why we're so determined to tell everybody else about him. They say things like, why don't you just keep your faith to yourself? Mind your own business and we'll be fine. And I get it. What they don't understand, though, is that sharing the good news about Jesus is fundamental to what it means to be a Christ follower. This is so important that each of the four Gospels and the book of Acts in the New Testament offer some form of what is commonly called the Great Commission. This is when Jesus is about to ascend to heaven and he's giving final instructions to his followers. Matthew's gospel has it like this. Go, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, which is an important part of this, because Jesus essentially says, we're going to do this together. We're going to continue my mission together. When I talk about the commission, the, grand, the great commission, I like to emphasize the idea of co-mission. Jesus is with us sharing the gospel in a way where people can connect to God as God planned for them. The book of Acts has Jesus about to ascend to heaven. The same, uh, Luke is actually writing this, and there's a little more nuance given. Jesus says to his disciples just before the ascension, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. This is never called the great suggestion never referred to as something that's optional, as part of what it means to follow Jesus. It is a command. Part of being a follower of Jesus is to join him in his mission to share the good news about him with the entire world. Jesus described his mission in pretty stark terms. When he explained why he came, which actually he only does uh, in, 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 very, uh, in very rare instances, but when he most famously described why he came, he said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's why Jesus showed up on this planet. That was his mission. And when he prayed for those of us who would follow him, he prayed that we would do the same thing that he came to do. John's gospel has Jesus praying to the Father and Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Why have we been sent into the world? 
We have been sent in the world to do what Jesus came to do. It's the mission has not changed. We have been sent into the world to seek and save people who are not home. Now, there are those who will say they don't want to hear us talk about our faith. I think the the more prevalent problem, though, and the one that I want to speak to a, a little bit today is the fact that there are many of us who are very hesitant to speak about our faith. It's... Um, it's, this is a difficult subject for some of us. We like our own experience with God, but we have a difficult time talking to others about it. And the context of the world in which we live doesn't make it easy to do either, right? It's kind of complicated for most of us to know when and where and how and, 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 and so on. And uh, hopefully, especially in our life groups this next trimester, we're going to try to dig into some of those practicalities a little bit more. But many of us hesitate when it comes to this idea of sharing our faith. We're nervous about the subject, and we're certainly nervous when we are put in a position where we feel compelled to witness, if you please. Someone said, in effect, that, that witnessing can be defined as two nervous people talking to each other. Most of us have experienced that in our lives. But it seems apparent that what we have to share is so important that it's worth a little awkwardness. It's an obvious thing to say, but if you had found the cure for cancer, you would probably knock down any barrier necessary to make sure that people who had cancer knew that you'd found the cure. And we have something infinitely more important than the cure for cancer. We found the cure for sin. We found the cure for disconnection from God. We found the cure for people who have gotten lost. We found the cure for people who want to be found. And so it's worth us getting over our stuff to find in appropriate ways, opportunities to tell people about what Jesus has done for us. Jesus called us to be witnesses. Look, you don't have to be a Bible scholar or an expert in apologetics to be a witness. You just need to be willing to talk about your own experience and understanding of Jesus. A witness in the New Testament, the, the word witness literally means somebody who, who bears witness to something that they had seen, something that they had heard, or something that they knew. A lot of the idea of witness is what someone has personally experienced. It's not bearing witness to 700-page commentaries on Christian theology. It's bearing witness to one's own experience. Peter told Christians in the first century, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Each of us need to figure out how. We explain to someone who may not have hope why we do. And that involves speaking to other people about our own experience with Jesus. Here's a second word I wanna talk about for a few moments. It's need, need. People need 
to hear the good news. Again, it's no small matter that Jesus described people who are disconnected from God as lost. People, again, that's not a religious word, that's a Jesus word. I know it could feel a little off-putting, but you kind of have to understand what Jesus is saying when he describes someone as being lost. He's, He's saying that people who are lost are people who do not have the life that God wants for them now and forever. The stakes are incredibly high. The apostle Paul famously said, the wages of sin is death. We define sin here as, it's def- as it should be defined in scripture as missing the mark. People who miss the point. People, people who aren't living the life God dreamed for them. For them, the price for that is death. It's eternal separation from God. But, Paul said, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The stakes are incredibly high. And Jesus said that the only way for someone who was lost to come home to the Father was through him. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God doesn't want anybody to be lost, and he made a way through Jesus for people to come home to himself. I love this passage in 2 Peter that lets us know how desperate God is, if you please, to make sure people come home. God is patient, Peter said, because he wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. God is waiting for people to come home. What I've discovered, though, and what I assume you've discovered as well, is there are a lot of people who have no comprehension of their own lostness, uh, and they'd be offended. And I think, understandably, in terms of just language, if if you describe them that way, and in fact, I would recommend strongly that you you don't uh, to their face. But 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 they're 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 lost and don't know it. And and um, one of my favorite all-time illustrations. I haven't told it for a few years, so here's a good opportunity for it. Uh, comes from the movie The Family Man. You may or may not remember the movie. Uh, I'm, it's a little chick flicky, but I'm married to a chick, so sometimes this happens. Uh, I happen to enjoy this particular movie, though. Um, Nicholas Cage plays a guy named Jack. The movie starts with Jack um, Uh, graduating from college and having to make a decision as to whether or not to enter into a committed relationship, presumably marriage, with the love of his life. And he decides not to. He decides instead to change, to chase money and things. And you fast forward to a few years later where Jack is uh, apparently at the top of the world. He's, he's living the life he had dreamed for himself. He's running a gargantuan acquisitions firm. He's living in the penthouse of something that looks like Trump Tower with the view of the whole world. He, um, he's, uh, 
dating, uh, it seems like, a, 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 a physically beautiful woman every night, a, a, a different one. He uh, probably most importantly is driving a Ferrari. And you get the sense, you know, if it just that's what matters to you, that this guy has got it all going on. And then he has this, an encou- this encounter with an angel who transports Jack in order to teach him a lesson into the life he would have had if he'd made a different decision about this woman that he loved and left to chase things. And he is uh, transported into the life that, that, that he would have had if he'd made a different choice. And now he's living in New Jersey. He's, which to me is better than New York City, but oh well, that's not how the movie portrayed it, God forbid, but nonetheless, he's living in I think Nutley, New Jersey in the middle class neighborhood. He's uh, married to this woman who he decided to leave and they have two snotty node kids running around a very middle class looking home and he's managing his father-in-law's tire store. Now, this is the sad part of the story, he's driving a minivan. And when he wakes up in this new world, he's, you know, desperate to get back to the life he had dreamed for himself. And, you know, a lot of the movie is about him trying to get back into that world, but he's stuck in this reality. Well, over time, he starts to see what life really could have been. He starts to see the beauty of being committed to someone, to a woman who he loves. He starts to see the beauty of sacrificing for his children. He starts to to enjoy friends who love him, not because he has lots and lots of money, but just because of who he is. And as he's in this new reality of life, he knows that that, that the condition of his soul is so much more important than how much money is in his bank account. And, and it's like one day he wakes up to the fact that this is what his life was really supposed to be. And the moment he wakes up to this, oh, this is what I could have had. He's transported back to the penthouse. And now he's in the penthouse desperately trying to get back into that little middle class home in Nutley, New Jersey, but he's locked out. When I hear that story, I I think about people who oftentimes have no idea that they're lost until they're found. I think about people who are living the life they dream for themselves, but missing the life that God dreamed for them. They've made up their own narrative, not understanding that God has a better story for them. And I dare say, in fact, I know there are a number of people who are sitting in this room right now, six months ago, a year, five years ago, you didn't even know that you needed Jesus. But somehow or another, you Someone invited you here, someone shared their faith. At some point in recent times, you came to faith in Jesus and all of a sudden, your life opened to a whole new world, but it was a world that you didn't know existed until you tasted it. And see, you know, almost every Sunday, I encounter somebody in the lobby who will say something like, a a, a man, a a, a kind of, I'm gonna say a 40-ish guy, said to me a few weeks ago, 
Um, he's a very successful guy, very successful in business. His wife's standing there, very successful person. And he stand there and he said, you know, I've something to the effect, I've never met you before. Started coming here about six months ago. He said, I grew up in the church, left the church, never wanted to go back to church. And he said, I can't believe that every week now I show up in church and he started to cry. And he said, I just didn't know what I was missing in my life. And this is the story of people who were lost and didn't know it, who experienced Jesus and all of a sudden find that God had dreamed for a more and better life than they had ever dreamed of. We have the responsibility to let people know about the life in all of its fullness that was promised by Jesus. Here's the third word, it's privilege. This witness thing is about more than a mandate though. And it's about more than people's need. It's also about the privilege that we have to share the good news about Jesus. Here's what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, God brought us back to himself through what Christ Jesus did. And God has given us the privilege of urging everyone to come into his favor and be reconciled to him. What we mean, Paul wrote, is that God was in Christ offering peace and forgiveness to the people of this world, and he has given us the work of sharing his message about peace, shalom, life as it was meant to be. We were sent to speak for Christ. I think what I like about this passage, there's a lot to like about this passage, but in today's context is this idea that we're privileged. When you when you really think about what God has done through Jesus and what he's done in our lives, you realize that we have a privilege to urge other people. See, some people like to talk about this subject in terms of heaven and hell. I prefer to talk about it in terms of life as it was meant to be now and forever. And the privilege that we have to tell people about life. See, I would always rather dig wells than build fences. What I mean by that is I've read that there are vast areas in Australia where cattle ranchers, and there are uh, quite a few there, where cattle ranchers, because of the vastness of the geography, are not able to practically build enough fences to keep their cattle where they're supposed to be. And so they don't build fences. Instead, they dig wells. The idea is that as long as the cattle know that they can find water, they stay close to where the water is. This has always been my approach to sharing the story of Jesus. Other people sometimes share it in different ways. They talk about the consequences of, of not believing in Jesus and, and I'm, I'm with them about that theologically for the most part. But my emphasis always, I guess it's my nature, but more importantly than that, it's the way that I read scripture is that, that when we consider what Jesus has done for us. We have such a privilege to share it and what we're, in, we're not asking people to avoid death, we're inviting people to experience life. We're not building fences, we're digging wells. We found water, 
See, that's the story. That's the story of Christian witness. It's like the the famous story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. The story is told in John chapter four. At some point, he's standing there talking with her and he said, you know, if you could ask me and I give you water where you never thirst again, this water will satisfy you for a little while, but I can give you water that's gonna spring up in you. How's it say at John four? Everyone, Jesus said, who drinks this water, the water that he offers will be thirst, I'm sorry, the water in the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And after this conversation, this woman then did what I think should happen when we know the kind of water that Jesus gives us. She went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? See, I think this needs to be our posture. We know that through Jesus, we have found water. And when we understand, and I think most of us somehow do, what we've found through Jesus, our response should be to run somewhere else and tell someone else that they can find water too. It's like the women who saw Jesus right after he'd been raised from the dead. As soon as they saw him, though they didn't understand, even theologically comprehend, you know, that he was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures. And this is what he meant when he said, you know, tear down the temple and three days later, they didn't understand all the theological arguments. All they knew is that they saw Jesus and had an experience with Jesus that was mind boggling to them. And scripture tells us that they hurried or they ran to tell the disciples what it was they saw. What's it say? It's says the women hurried away from the tomb afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples this is the kind of attitude that I'd love to permeate the people at the life Christian church we are runners to witness about the water that we found through Jesus Christ it's not this nervous wimpy fearful How am I gonna tell this person? Oh no. We get to tell people about Jesus. It's a privilege. I believe then, and let me change gears into another part of this, what we're really gonna focus on the next few weeks. I believe then that we can each have such life-changing encounters with Jesus. Encounters at the well, encounters at the tomb, our own encounters with Jesus, that our natural state is to want to talk about it with people. Again, just in case you're curious, I don't mean walking in to the office with your family Bible and putting it on your desk and standing up once a day and preaching the gospel. I'm, I'm talking about bearing witness to who Jesus is in your life. Bearing witness to the life that you found. I believe that we can each have such encounters with Jesus that 
that we almost can't help but do it. I love this passage from Jeremiah. It's a famous passage. It's just, it's, it's, it says this in a way no, nowhere else does. This is where Jeremiah said, sometimes I tell myself not to think about you, Lord, or even mention your name, but your message burns in my heart and bones, and I cannot keep silent. Here's the fourth word. It's power. Jesus didn't just give us the mandate and privilege to share the good news with people who need it. He also promised to give us his power to witness. Let's focus on this now for the rest of our time. Here's what Jesus said when he, when in Acts, he told people that they would be his witness. He he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now this is a really important point. When Jesus gave his disciples the mandate to witness, he also said in the same breath, but don't really even try this until you have experienced my power. It's like, don't try this at home. In fact, he didn't tell them You're responsible to witness, go do it. He said, you're responsible to witness, but wait, 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 wait until the Holy Spirit comes on you. Because when the Holy Spirit comes on you, essentially, I'm gonna be witnessing of who I am through you. Look at this, look at this in Luke 24, Luke's version of the Great Commission. Jesus, again, he's about to ascend to heaven. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And so what happened? He ascended to heaven. They waited in Jerusalem in a place called the upper room for seven days. And then the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit came baptized the church, really launched the Christian church, and it was only after the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that these people then went and bore witness to what they now knew and changed the world. The order of things is really important here. And I'll have to tell you that there have been times over the years when I've said, go share the good news, which I should have said, and I am saying, and I will say. But I'm seeing this just a little more nuance right now. It's go share the good news, but wait. Make sure the Holy Spirit is filling you and empowering you to witness and partnership with Jesus about himself. Acts chapter one, Jesus told his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. In a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem, Judea, and the other most parts of the earth. Do you, do you see the point here? I mean, I can take a lot longer to make it if I need to. Let me go back. You're called to be witnesses, but wait. This is why, this is why we're marking this first series from today to Pentecost Sunday. We're for the first time in the history of our church We're gonna make a big deal about Pentecost Sunday, which is not a religious holiday. Pentecost is a biblical holiday, and Pentecost is the day that the Holy Spirit came and baptized the church, and that the church was filled with power, and then went and witnessed of Jesus in ways that, well, literally changed the world. We're here today as a consequence. Pentecost refers, uh, the, the, the Greek for Pentecost just refers to the fact that Pentecost is the holiday on the Jewish calendar 50 days after Passover. So it seems logical to me, I don't know why I've never thought about it before, but as much as we've emphasized Lent and obviously Good Friday and Easter, to understand that the next major marker in the calendar of the church is Pentecost. 50 days after Passover, Jesus, he he, he dies on the cross, he's buried, he's raised from the dead, we celebrate that on Easter Sunday, and then 47 days later, after being, showing himself alive by many infallible proofs for 40 days, and then ascending to heaven, telling his disciples to witness but wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Seven days later, they're doing just that. And on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound came from heaven as a mighty rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Anyway, I wanna emphasize in coming weeks the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit helps us witness about Jesus, because the Holy Spirit witnesses to us about Jesus. Now, I've got a lot of ground to cover in just a few minutes, and a lot of scriptures to dig into, but today, I'm really as concerned about setting up the next few weeks as I am about how I close this particular sermon. And so, Think with me, dig in with me just for a moment while I talk about this subject. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was going to come to witness about Jesus in our lives. And that when that happens, our witness becomes a more natural, normative thing. He said, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. When the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, it reveals to us ever deeper dimensions about Jesus. It testifies to us about Jesus. The Holy Spirit can testify us about about Jesus because the Holy Spirit is actually the spirit of Jesus and the Father living in us. Our recommended reading for this next trimester is a book by J.D. Greer called Jesus Continued. Here's part of what he wrote. At the ascension, Jesus did not become an absentee God. In other words, when Jesus ascended to heaven, 
to take his seat at the right hand of the Father. He didn't become an absentee God. He, as God, simply came to his disciples as a different person. The mystery of the Trinity is that only one God exists in three persons. Each person is distinct from the other two, but in experiencing one, you experience the one God who is them all. Now, if that's mind-boggling to you, welcome to the club of people for 2,000 years who've tried to understand God's threeness and oneness and God's oneness and threeness. But when the Holy Spirit comes, it is on one hand, a different person existing within the one God, but at the same time, when you have Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, you have the entirety of God there. So when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, we have the Holy Spirit which proceeds, as the Nicene Creed says, from the Father and the Son, and we have the presence of the Father and Son through the Holy Spirit, which makes perfect sense that when the Holy Spirit indwells us, that it's testifying to us about Jesus, and we're coming to know Jesus in deeper dimensions. John chapter 14, Jesus to his disciples, very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. He said, I'm ascending to heaven, but because I'm ascending to heaven, you're going to be able to do things that you've never been able to do before. In fact, it's going to be greater than the things that I did. Why? I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. You know him for he lives with you, he referred to himself, and will be in you, he referred to the Holy Spirit which was coming. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Jesus is saying that he is going to come and indwell us through the Holy Spirit. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. How do Father and Son come and make their home with us? Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Guys, through the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are literally given the presence and power of Jesus to enable us to do the work we have been called to do. So let's close with these reflections. The Holy Spirit helps us. And then a practical couple of next steps. The Holy Spirit helps us see Jesus. I'm going to read a couple of relatively long passages but I'm especially going to ask you to focus on one of these this coming week with, in hopes that it gets in us. Here's what Paul prayed when he wrote to the Ephesians. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. What's he praying? He's saying, I'm praying that through the Spirit, you will know Jesus more and that the eyes of your heart will be opened so you can see who Jesus is and who you are in him. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, the Holy Spirit testifies to us about Jesus so that we experience Jesus in deeper dimensions. Secondly, the Holy Spirit helps us experience Jesus. And this is the passage that I'm gonna ask you to focus on this week. I'm gonna ask you to meditate on this and pray on this this week. This is where Paul said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he, the Father, may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, notice this word, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I know that's a lot. Let me kind of, let me, let me focus on this. Paul says, I pray the Father will reveal Jesus to you in such ways through the Spirit that you will be able to grasp, grasp, how high, how deep, how wide, and how long is the love of Christ, and that you will know this in a way that surpasses knowledge. There are two Greek words for knowledge that are used in the New Testament. This particular word for knowledge has to do with experience. It's not intellectual head knowledge. It's something that you know in the place where you know the things you know you know. And Paul was praying, essentially, that the Holy Spirit would dwell in people's lives in such a way that we are able to know how much Jesus loves us. Not here. Here. Last summer, Sharon and I were on a cruise trip in the Mediterranean, and I, I meditated on this passage almost every morning. I would sit on the balcony of our, of our, of our room on the, on the ship, and I would look out at the vastness of the Mediterranean, and I would think about how deep the water was, and I'd look up at the sky and see how high it was, and I'd look as far as I could this distance, and I couldn't see anything else, and I'd look as far that way as I could and I couldn't see anything else, and I would meditate on Ephesians 3, and I would pray. I would say, Father, may the Holy Spirit dwell in me in such a way that I can grasp how high and how deep and how wide and how long is the love of Jesus for me. See, sometimes I think what happens, and I think this is a minority of people sitting in this room, but I wanna bring you some hope. On one hand, you hear this business about having an encounter with Jesus where you'd want to run and witness, but the reality is you've never had an encounter like that. And I'm telling you, 
through the Holy Spirit, you can experience God in such a way where you grasp the love of Jesus for you, where you can't hardly help yourself. But from bearing witness to what you know of God. And third, the Holy Spirit helps us share Jesus. What did Jesus say after? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So our next steps are this. I'm gonna pray that each of us will pray this week for the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and to fill us. Now, a couple more quick words and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be finished. We are taught in scripture that when we believe in Jesus, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, Romans, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 1 tells us that when we believed, we were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. We're not capable, we're told in scripture, of even calling Jesus Lord, unless it's by the Spirit. So when we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and makes us alive to God and indwells us. While that is absolutely true, it's also clear in scripture, though somewhat mysterious in the same way, that people who believed and who didn't been indwelt by the Holy Spirit had subsequent experiences with the Holy Spirit that are described in a variety of ways, as a baptism of the Holy Spirit, or as a filling with the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit coming on someone, or someone receiving the Holy Spirit. Again, there's mystery to this because this is someone in whom the Holy Spirit lives, but it wasn't as if the Holy Spirit came to live in someone and that was it. It was like the Holy Spirit came to live in someone, but to continue to impact their lives in powerful ways. So you get passages of scripture like Acts chapter four, which here are people who just not long before had experienced Pentecost. All right, clearly they had experienced the Holy Spirit, but we're told that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now again, there's not time to get into that and I didn't intend to get into that. I intend to whet your appetite a little bit and let you know that though we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we can have experiences which these folks had where they're praying and as they're praying, the Holy Spirit came and shook the place. Some of us need some shaking. And the Holy Spirit filled them and they spoke the word of God boldly. So you say, Pastor, what does that have to do with me this week? I wanna challenge you to ask for the Holy Spirit to come into your life in powerful ways and fill you. That's all I want from you this week. I just want you to ask for the Holy Spirit to come. If you look at your connection card, if you look at your connection card, I think I have one here, you'll see the next steps. Would you please, everybody who considers me your pastor and those of you who might consider considering me to be your pastor, please grab the connection card. I want you to look at the next steps. You see this, this week I will ask God to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I just want you to pray this week. God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I mean, how bad can that be? Right? 
And then secondly, this week I will meditate on pray in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. That's where you're praying that the Spirit of God will come into your life in such a way that it will show you deeper dimensions of Jesus and how much he loves you. See, here's what I know. If the Holy Spirit fills us, we're going to be just fine. If the Holy Spirit fills us, we're going to speak his word boldly. If the Holy Spirit witnesses of Jesus in our lives, we're going to witness of Jesus in our lives. And so we're told by Jesus in Luke that we're supposed to ask for the Holy Spirit. He said, everybody who asks, everybody who seeks, everybody who knocks, they get what they want. And then he said, why shouldn't you expect then that if you ask for the Holy Spirit that I will give it to you? So we are going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come in our lives and on our church this week. And we're going to focus on this until Pentecost Sunday. And you're not going to want to miss the next few weeks. So.